You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Friday, April 9th, 2021. I am Dave Biddle. I'm very happy to be joined by Jonah Booker for his usual Friday visit. Let's get into many matters of business here, Jonah. Let's start out with uh, some offensive line items. Big week for the offensive line. We got to you know, speak with O-line coach Greg Stadrawa the other day on Wednesday, and we got to speak with Paris Johnson Jr. and a few of the other offensive linemen like Nicholas Petit-Ferrer and Thayer Munford, and I'm leaving somebody out. But um, I want to start with Paris Johnson. I find this very interesting. You know, He's really the highest-rate offensive lineman Ohio State's landed in a long time. He's the number one offensive tackle recruit in the country in the 2020 class, number eight overall prospect, and you know, everybody, including Paris himself, thought he'd be a starting tackle by year two. Nobody thought Thera Munford would be coming back. And we weren't even sure Nicholas Petit Ferrer, the light would come on for him. And boy, the delight come on for him this past year. So both those guys are coming back. And Paris Johnson is now going to be a starting left guard for the Buckeyes. And his attitude could not be any better. He admitted, Jonah, that, you know, he thought he'd be a starter by now at tackle. But he's very happy to be the starting left guard. And he can then kick out the tackle in 2021. But just your thoughts on a Paris Johnson playing left guard this coming year and B his fantastic attitude about it. Yeah. Paris Johnson, he has all the makings of an all big 10 offensive lineman, a future NFL player. He is one of those young guys uh, that got in, in that Clemson game and flash. And he was out there throwing people out the club. Uh, like they say on, on the offensive line and <laughs> for him to be starting at the guard position, that is simply Ohio State saying he is one of our five best offensive linemen. So we have to get him on the field, even though his natural position is a left tackle. When you have Thera Munford coming back, who's probably going to be a, a potential first round draft pick next year. I know Pro Football Focus had him, uh, Thera Munford graded out as one of the top five offensive tackles in college football when it came to giving up pressures. So the fact that you have him in Nicholas Petit Frere, who played outstanding last year at the right tackle position back. I know that um, Ohio State fans like to give uh, Stud uh, you know, a hard time when it comes to recruiting, but make no mistake, he is really developing that offensive line up front. He sure is. One guy, speaking of the 2020 class, that uh, I didn't see breaking out this early, Josh Fryer. Basically, what they did in that 2020 class with offensive line, they took six of them. They took Paris Johnson, and they took Luke Wickler. You know, Paris Johnson was, you know, as I said, the number eight overall player in the country. Luke Wickler was a top 100 uh, player in the country, one of the top guards. And then they took four guys who were almost, you could say, projects, like three-star guys, like uh, you know Josh Fryer and uh, Grant Tutant, um, Trey LaRue, and Jacob James, those four. And I remember thinking, well, if Paris Johnson works out well and Luke Whipler works out well, they need one of those four guys. That'd be good. If you get three to work out out of those six, it'd be great. And not every class could be like that, you know, 2017 class that had a total of three offensive linemen with Thayer Munford, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis. Those are the only three, and they, they hit on all three. That's pretty rare. So I didn't see Josh Fryer 
stepping up this early. He's running with the ones. Now, part of that's because Harry Miller's out, and they have Matt Jones at center. Um, so that's part of that reason. I'm not saying for sure he's going to be a starter. But, man, as a redshirt freshman, Josh you know, Josh Fryer, a guy that wasn't ranked very high, Jay Buck, a three-star kid, ranked like in the 500s. I did a story earlier this week. He's ranked as the number 28 guard in the country, a young man out of Indiana, and like number 500-something overall. And it sounds like Josh Fryer is really stepping up. A big young man, six foot six, 315 pounds. Stud really likes him, and he's getting some run with the first team this spring. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me at all. I know that, you know, you as you mentioned, the uh, the national rankings, and he was – like you said, the 510th player in the country, according to 24-7, and the 28th-ranked offensive guard. But if you look at his recruiting profile, he had he had an offer from Alabama. Uh, and Kyle Flood, who did a remarkable job as the offensive line coach at Alabama. So if Alabama felt that this guy was good enough to play there, then that tells me right there that he had a lot of potential and a lot of talent. It was always going to be up to Stud to determine if he was going to get the most out of him. And right now, it looks like that uh, Stud is really developing him. Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to the offensive line, iron's going to sharpen iron. A lot of these guys come in, uh, you know, with the four, four and five star label. And there's going to be times, for example, we've seen it numerous times at Ohio State where the three star guy comes in from the offensive line and really shines. He really takes the game to the next level, and that's what you're seeing from Josh Fryer. Um, it's great news for Ohio State that one of your lower-ranked guys in your class is already getting reps with the first team. That tells you he's ahead of schedule, and that tells you right there that Ohio State um, hit it on the target when it came to their evaluation of Fryer. Um, a lot of people believed at the time that he wasn't a take, um, because, you know, people looked at his recruiting rankings and they weren't sure if, if the offer was even real. But if you look at his offer, you have Alabama and Oregon and Florida State and Oklahoma. Those are some of his offers. Wisconsin, Wisconsin, they know their offense alignment. And if they if they deem that Josh Fryer was good enough to play there, I can tell you that he's good enough to play at Ohio State. And you're showing right now, you're seeing right now that he uh, he's really – living up to his potential and the sky is the limit for him. It's just going to have to continue to get stronger in the weight room, continue to develop on the field, but he has the potential to be a starter down the line. One more offensive line topic I want to throw at you, then we'll move on to uh, some wide receivers real quick. And we'll touch on the spring game, Matt Jones, Harry Miller in the center position. As I mentioned, Harry Miller, a little banged up, nothing serious. He was dressed when I was at practice earlier this week. He just, he was going through light drills. Um, but when they actually, you know, they've only gone live, I think, once so far um, this spring. But uh, when they do anything with contact, he's not out there. Uh, Matt Jones is right now running with the ones at center. And like I said, Josh Fryer um, is running with the ones at guard. Now, let's push it ahead to the season. Let's say Harry Miller is completely healthy. What do you think is going to happen at center? Because Matt Jones is really impressing the staff. I think he, if he's not a starting center, he's going to play guard like he did last year. But they're giving him a look at center, which I find very interesting. What do you make of that? Who do you think is going to be the starting center? you think it'll be Matt Jones or Harry Miller? That's a tough question, Dave. And there is a chance that um, Harry Miller can get Wally pipped here when it comes to Matt Jones, uh, a guy that could potentially lose that starting position due to injury because Matt Jones played well, uh, subbing in for Harry Miller, in the, in the playoffs, he play, I thought he played really well against Clemson. 
um, in Alabama, in Alabama there. And the thing that you have to ask yourself is, do you want to move Matt Jones from center to guard, considering he's taken all of those reps in the spring and, and then you're going to move Harry Miller back into the center position where he has, he's missed a lot of reps. He didn't look particularly well as center against Michigan state uh, with the high snaps. So would it be more natural to keep Harry Miller at your left guard position and keep Matt Jones at your center, considering Matt Jones is building momentum at that position. He's playing well at center and he's getting all the reps with the first team. He's setting the defense and he's calling it for those young quarterbacks. Um, to me, that's my concern there is with Matt Jones building that rapport with C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller at the center position. If he's if he's setting the tempo for those guys, I have to kind of lean towards he may end up still being the center and then moving Harry Miller into the guard position so that you can continue uh, that comfort level between your center and quarterback exchange. All right, switching gears, let's talk some wide receivers. Let's also do something we love to do here on the Bucknuts Morning 5 and Bucknuts in general. Let's get the hype train going on a player that has not even played a real game for the Buckeyes yet. Marvin Harrison Jr., come on down. You're the next contestant. I tell you what, I mean, again, he hasn't caught a pass yet for the Buckeyes. He should still be in high school. But, man, he looks good out there, Marvin Harrison Jr. We're hearing good things beyond how he looked when we were out there uh, to watch practice when they opened the – the doors to the media. He's got the lineage, of course, his father, the Hall of Famer, Marvin Harrison, with the Colts for all those years with Peyton Manning. And Marvin Harrison Jr., it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, Marvin Harrison must have married a tall woman because his son is a lot bigger than he is. He's six foot three. Uh, Marvin Harrison's not a very big guy. I got the chance to meet him last year at a spring practice where they, they shut things down. And yeah, I mean, he's like, what, about 5'11", something like that, but still one of the best receivers ever played the game. So I know I, I was hearing good things about Marvin Harrison Jr. You were hearing good things. He looked good to me. Just uh, share with the listeners what you're hearing about Marvin Harrison Jr., Jay Book. Yeah, speaking of hype train, choo-choo, all aboard the Marvin Harrison <laughs> hype train because it's in, it's in full effect, Dave. My, um, the people that I've talked to, they have raved about this guy. You know, if you're asking about him, you know, Throwing out words like mature, uh, college ready, ready to play right now, excellent route runner, uh, attention to detail, a guy that was a lot bigger uh, coming into Ohio State than what they initial, uh, initially thought he was going to be. Um, he's a grown man out there, and I think he's going to see the field early. I know his uh, recruiting rankings kind of dropped there. But if you look at his highlight tapes and with him and Kyle McCord, he was breaking all kinds of state of Pennsylvania records. And I think Marvin Harrison has the potential to be special. He's that big body wide receiver that can play on the outside. He reminds me a lot of Mike Thomas. He's not going to be your your burner that's going to pop the, the pop the top off the defense uh, like a Jameson Williams or anything like that. But he's going to be a very refined route runner. He's going to be very skilled. With the tutelage of his father, he showed up to Ohio State uh, ready to go right away. The moment has not been too big for him. And if you look at the results, he's one of the first guys to get his black stripe uh, taken off already. Um, so the, the potential is there. I do think that he will uh, be in that second wave of wide receivers. 
Ryan Day and the coaches have said they want to have a much deeper wide receiver rotation than they were uh, allowed to do this past year because of COVID. And right now, I, I think Ohio State has hit it out the park once again with their evaluation. And you have to tip your cap to Brian Hartline. Uh, of course, he needs to perform on the field when it really matters. But anytime you can be getting rotation in with the first team as a true freshman, just getting on campus, that right there is a telltale sign that this guy will play at Ohio State for a very long time. I'm curious to get your thoughts on G. Scott Jr. moving from wide receiver to tight end. It was about a couple hours after you and I recorded the show. Last Friday, we reported on Bucknuts, we broke the story that G. Scott Jr. was moving from wide receiver to tight end. You and I have not spoken about that. What are your thoughts on that move? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a curious move. Um, I just think it's a situation where he is continued to grow. Um, what is he? He's up to like 225 right now. Um, so he is a big body guy. I'm not sure, um, you know, what he, where he was at as far as the pecking order with the wide receivers, but I like the move. If you, if you pair him up, uh, you know, in the tight end position and have him some, be similar to a hybrid. What you're looking at is hopefully they can give some type of Kyle Pitts-esque type of play out of uh, Scott because he's a wide receiver at heart. He has to learn how to do the nuances of the line of the tight end position and be able to block those linebackers coming off the edge. And if he can do that, I don't think there's a linebacker in the Big Ten that can be able to check him one-on-one. Now, Ohio State is notorious for not properly utilizing their tight end. I think that would change this year. Um, but I, I like the move. It was it was a move by him that said that, hey, I want to do this. So once he once he decided that what he wants to do, you have to give the kid a chance to see if he can um, play the position. And I think he can. I think you can utilize, utilize him as a hybrid type of guy and really create some mismatches in the Big Ten. Some good news. Maybe not the news people wanted to hear regarding the spring game, but good news nonetheless. There's going to be 20,000 fans roughly at the spring game. Um, a lot better than last year when there wasn't even a spring game. So um, we're moving in the right direction here. And the breakdown of that is about 10,000 of those fans will go to it'll be will go to first responders and medical personnel. So that's half the fans right there. Then about so if you're, you know, just general public and you want to go, there's only going to be about 5,000 tickets that go on sale to the general public at $5 a pop. Um, so I'm sure those will go very fast. And then about 2.5 or about, you know, um, yeah, about 2.5K to students and then about 2.5K to family and friends and stuff like that of the football program. But it's just great news. We're going to have 20,000 fans in attendance for the spring game. I think by the time the season starts, we're going to have at least a half filled horseshoe maybe filled all the way by then your thoughts on 20,000 fans at the spring game and what that might lead to as far as the season is concerned it's great news um anytime you can start getting fans into this into the shoe is a great sign and it just tells you that we're trending in the right direction here I do think once the season starts we're going to be at half capacity to start and I believe as we get further into it and the numbers continue to decrease as more people become vaccinated, that you're going to start seeing uh, a full house. I hope it has to has a full house because the SEC, ACC, and the Big 12, they're going to have max capacity. And if you're going to have recruits in the stands, you want to be able to mimic 
the best environment in college football. And if you're recruiting against a kid who's going to take a visit to Alabama and they have 90,000 fans in the stands and you go to Ohio State, they only have 40,000 because they got their hands cuffed. That's a recruiting disadvantage. Uh, but I do believe that the Big Ten will do the right thing and, and pack the, allow these teams to pack the stadiums. It is great that Ohio State will actually have fans in the stands for the spring game because, as Urban Meyer said, you can't mimic fans in the stands in a type of game atmosphere in practice like you can in the actual shoot. So a lot of these young guys, this is going to be their first opportunity to really play in front of fans. You want to see how they're going to react. So it's going to be a, a great litmus test for those younger guys and for Ohio State. I know that they took a beating as far as the athletic department and how much money that they lost um, overall. I know Barry Alvarez, uh, he's, he came out the other day and said that Wisconsin lost 50 or $60 million in their athletic department. So you have to figure Ohio State numbers are somewhere in that same ballpark, maybe more. Um, but the, the program and the athletic department, they def desperately need the stands to be packed. And fingers crossed that they'll have the shoe and max capacity at least by midseason. I'm just looking forward to eight days from now seeing uh, some uh, Ohio State football in the horseshoe again. It's going to be nice uh, seeing fans in the stands. April 17th, again, eight days from right now. All right. Great stuff, as always, from Jonah Booker. Really appreciate it, Jay Book. And thank you to all listeners out there for tuning in the show. We appreciate that very much. I hope everyone has a great day and a great weekend. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best in band in the land. Yeah.